Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Paul is not relating to this church as a spectator or a consumer or a renter. He is relating in a radically different way. He's relating because of their partnership in the gospel. And so my main goal today is to convince you that the way that Paul viewed involvement in the church is radically countercultural to us in America. And then to convince you, using the Apostle Paul's words, that it is so worth it. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The church means many different things to different people. If we're honest, many of us go primarily for what it does for us, the feeling we get, or the connections that it facilitates. Others go out of obligation, attempting to live a righteous life that will make them feel accomplished and maybe help them gain entrance into heaven? As Pastor Ricky explains in today's message, these motivations are flawed if not entirely wrong. As we examine Paul's life and his approach to church, we'll learn what it means to partner in the gospel. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, Gospel Partnership, from the book of Philippians, chapter one. Philippians one, verse three. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Before we jump into this topic, I want to ask a question. How do you see yourself in relationship to the church? This is a crucial question. I want to list a few different ways that people often see themselves in relationship to the church, and hopefully one of these will describe you this morning. Uh, Some people see themselves related to the church as spectators, that you go occasionally and watch and, and, you know, maybe sit down and stand up and do all of that. And maybe it's sort of interesting, or maybe it's even sort of inspiring. And so that's why you come every once in a while. Or maybe you see yourself sort of as a consumer, that churches out there in the city put out sort of a spiritual product, and you're looking for the best mix of worship and teaching and kids' programs. And, you know, you have those conversations with your spouse, like, well, I like the music at this church, but that teaching guy just puts me to sleep. Or this other one, the guy teaches well, but, you know, the kids' ministry looks a wreck. You know, you can have these conversations, see yourself that way. Um, You can see yourself in relationship to the church as a renter, right? A renter, R-E-N-T-E-R, that you give a little bit and serve a little bit, and that's sort of paying the rent, and you get some spiritual products in exchange, right? So I get get some decent teaching and worship and services and discipleship for my kids, but I, you know, I serve on a team too, and I'll put a few dollars into the offering plate. Or maybe you see yourself in relationship to the church like a patient, where you realize that, that when life is hard or you're struggling, that's when you tend to come back to church, right? Things aren't going well. And so, okay, I need, I need some help from the Lord. So you come back and then you kind of think, okay, I'm, I'm good again. And then you kind of start to drift off, right? You're not making unannounced visits to your doctor. So uh, just to check in and see how he's doing, you see that guy when you're sick. And so some people relate to the church that way as well. But Paul in these verses relates to the church very differently. 
I mean, look at the language he uses when he talks about the church. He says, every time I remember you, I thank God for you. He says, every time I pray, I end up praying for you. And he says, this is not just an obligation, like he's on, you know, uh, the church is on his Rolodex, his spiritual Rolodex of, okay, I gotta go pray for my uh, in-laws and this person and that person. I'll pray for this church. No, that's not what Paul's doing. He says, I don't ever pray for you without joy. So he says, look, I pray for you all the time. In fact, when I pray for anything, I pray for you. And whenever I pray for you, I pray with joy, right? Paul is not relating to this church as a spectator or a consumer or a renter. He is relating in a radically different way. He's relating because of their partnership in the gospel. And so my main goal today is to convince you that the way that Paul viewed involvement in the church is radically countercultural to us in America. And then to convince you, using the Apostle Paul's words, that it is so worth it. The main idea, the gospel makes us joyful gospel partners. So three sections today. First, why gospel partnership? Oh no, sorry, what is gospel partnership? What is gospel partnership? Well, that, that word in verse five, partnership, is in the original Greek language koinonia. Maybe you've heard that if you've been around church a little bit. It has a lot of different shades of meaning. Uh, sometimes that word is translated as fellowship because there's a warm relational element. This isn't kind of a cold, impersonal partnership. This is a, a warm relationship. It, it can refer at times to family relationships between kids and parents or even a marriage relationships. But I really like the way that the ESV translates it in this verse, this word partnership, because it, it gets the other important half of the word. If you think that this word means fellowship and partnership together combined, that you're getting kind of close to the meaning. Uh, D.A. Carson says that if Peter and John, as fishermen, buy a boat together, they are in a koinonia fellowship partnership, right? They relate to one another, but they're also doing something together. I grew up as a kid seeing three names everywhere, Brown, Alcantad, and Brown. That was the name that my, of the company that my grandfather started after coming over from Mexico, the company that my dad worked for, that was the name of the business. So it was on our coffee mugs and all kinds of paperwork all over at the house. And we would go down and meet my dad, sometimes at the office. And so my grandfather had been a partner in this business with two other guys named Brown, who strangely were unrelated. And so what happened is they, they all put money in, they all put time in, they all wanted to see it succeed. And then by the time I was a kid, the other two partners, Brown and Brown, had been bought out or sold out, and it was my grandpa, my dad, and my uncle. I guess it could have just been Alcantara, 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 but that would just be a little redundant. So, And here's what I experienced growing up. I experienced something different than even some of my friends did because this business wasn't just a job to my dad, right? His name was on the door. He was a partner in the business. His money had been invested in the company. Um, his inheritance had been invested in the company. If the company wasn't doing well, he didn't get paid. Uh, he didn't get to retire. That's what it meant, right? I remember going to other families 
and, and hanging out. And if, they had, if their parents had a job where they could sort of just say, hey, that was a hard day. I'm going to clock out. You know, good luck. And they got to come home. I thought, oh, I didn't know that you could do that. Like, I didn't know that that was like an option. You could clock out and then just be home. But my dad was at the office until the problem was resolved, right? That was the, what it meant to be a partner. And this is exactly the kind of partnership that Paul has in view here. He says, you Philippian church and I, we are partners in the gospel. And so here's what this meant in their relationship. He says, you're, you're, we're partners in the gospel from the first day until right now. So these were people that he was writing to that helped him from day one of the church plant. These are sort of the people that got saved day one. And we met some of these people last week. Lydia, the businesswoman, uh, the former demon-possessed fortune-telling girl, the old veteran jailer, right? These people invited their friends and family to come hear Paul. They, they distributed the communion bread on Sundays. They did all the ministry jobs, right? Because it's a church plant, you have to do all the jobs. Lydia probably very likely gave up her large house for the church to meet in in the courtyard, right? These people were gospel partners. They were all in. They were giving toward this, serving toward this, owning this mission. Eventually, when Paul left, the church sent Paul out beyond Philippi to keep evangelizing, to keep doing missionary work. And so they invested generously with Paul in the mission. They invested beyond what you'd think a church of that size would be able to invest. They even sent people out to check on Paul and be part of the mission. And they did this even in hard times. In another letter in 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about them when he talks about them and the other churches of Macedonia when he writes, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, so listen, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See, Paul is taking up this offering to bring relief to another part of the church. And so the saints in Philippi aren't clocking out, right? They're thinking, we are owners in this gospel venture. Do they need money? All right, we're sending money. We need the money? No, they need it more. Right, this is what it meant to be a gospel partner. The church to the saints in Philippi was not a show, wasn't a presentation, wasn't a product, wasn't a club. It wasn't even a begrudging necessity. They treated this enterprise, this gospel enterprise, like they were owners. They were all in on this. Unless we think that this is just the saints in Philippi, that somehow the saints in Philippi were like the ones hyped up on this way more than anybody else. Now, this was supposed to be the pattern of the New Testament. When the first church forms in Acts chapter two, this is what we read. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Now listen, we, we often can read that and think, oh, how wonderful it would have been to be part of this Acts 2 church where Jesus has you know, just ascended and the Holy Spirit has fallen and the gospel is going out into the city. But listen, listen to the details of what they were doing. They were together every day. And not like in a restaurant, like, hey, I'll meet you at a coffee shop. They were together in, they broke bread in their homes, right? Well, who cleaned up after that? If you ever had a group come over to your house and break bread, there's some bread on the ground afterwards, right? That they were, their schedules were wrecked. Like, well, when are we gonna get together with the believers today? Well, I thought this would be sort of a CSI marathon night. Like, no, like, this is, this is invading your personal time. This is invading your pantry, right? This is invading every corner of your life. And this, they go even further. They put their money and property on the table, right? This is a business venture. They all put on, it's like, okay, who's got, who's got a house? Who's got a house? How big are your, is your house? Great. Well, we could probably put a small group in there, maybe a small church in there. What about you? Oh, you've got, oh, you have some, some camels. Well, that'd be useful because we got to bring some saints from the other city over here. And, and you got some money saved up. Perfect. We could use that for this, right? They were putting all of this on the table. Why? Because they were partners in the gospel. And later, many of these people died together. See, this mix of partnership and fellowship that's present in this phrase, gospel partnership, is beautifully illustrated in one of my favorite books or series of books, which is The Lord of the Rings. And the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring, right? And I love the way that fellowship is used in that context. Because if you know the book, it, it's not a fellowship of the ring like like, like, you know, they're just happy and, and they like to collect rings and it's enjoyable and they have tea and coffee and are the best of friends, right? No, the fellowship of the ring means like there is a horrible enemy who's trying to kill us. Our goal at the cost of our lives is to take this one ring, this only hope we have, take this ring, throw it in the fire of a volcano that he's sitting on top of and save the world. We're probably all gonna die in the process. Like that's the fellowship kind of connotation that I think Paul would agree with. He's like, yep, that kind of fellowship. At the beginning of the book, one friend says to the other, you can trust us to stick to you through thick and thin to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any secret of yours closer than you yourself keep it. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone and go off without a word. We are your friends. Anyway, there it is. We know a good deal about the ring. We are horribly afraid, but we are coming with you or following you like hounds. I love that. I love the, that, that kind of friendship as I think what Paul is talking about. When he says, you and, I, you and I, Philippians, we are those kinds of friends. This is our kind of fellowship. We are partners in the gospel together. So friend, how do you view the church? Would you say that you're at the spectator level? That it's just, okay, this is interesting. Or maybe you're a consumer looking for, okay, what's the best product? Where can we get the best uh, return for our investment as a renter? You know, maybe like, we'll put this in, you guys give us this. If we don't like the exchange of services, we're gonna kind of back off from this. Now, this is exactly, in many ways, opposite of what Paul is thinking. And here's the crazy thing. Scripture does not just call us to observe the Philippian partnership and sort of say, wow, what an amazing thing. It calls us to participate in it. So point number two, what makes us gospel partners? 
Now, how did Paul and the Philippian church get to that place where they are putting their money and property and schedules and lives all on the table together and figuring out how to do life in a new way? The gospel. At the risk of of sounding silly, the gospel is what creates gospel partnership. The first, the, the gospel makes us partners with God himself. See, the term gospel simply means good news. In the New Testament, it's shorthand for referring to the the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's good news because the Bible also gives us some really bad news. And the bad news is that God created the world good and we had fellowship with him and we had right relationship with other human beings, but humanity chose sin. Sin is a rejection of God. It's saying, I don't want to live with you as king. I don't want to live in fellowship with you. I want to be king instead. And we all make the same choice that our first parents did again and again and again. And the bad news is that we are all unrighteous. We are all sinners. We are all condemned before God. But there is good news. And the good news is that Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a brutal death for us. The Apostle, Paul, Peter, the Apostle Peter says that Jesus was given as the righteous for the unrighteous, meaning that he died in our place so that if we believe in him, the penalty for our sins would fall on him and not on us. That God treated Jesus as if he were our unright- as if he wore our unrighteousness so that we could wear his righteousness. See, this is the good news, friends. This is like being condemned in a court with a debt that you could never pay only to have the father that you have been estranged from for decades suddenly show up and pay the bill for you, right? That is the good news of the gospel, but it just gets better from there. See, Jesus was given as the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, Okay, so not only do we get our sins penalty paid for, but we get brought back into the fellowship and relationship with God that we were made for. This is our fundamental longing. We were made to relate to him in the deepest parts of our souls. And God has welcomed us back into that relationship. See, it's like the father in the courtroom, not just saying, son, your bills are paid for. I never want to see you again. This ends it, you know, we're even, I owe you nothing. No, he says, son, your bills are paid for and we have prepared a feast for you back home. Your brothers and sister and mother are waiting to celebrate with you. Right? This, this, this is the better news of the gospel. And often, here we go, often we stop there. We think, man, we get to relate to God now. No, that's not the end of the story. It goes a step further. See, not only are we brought back into relationship with God, we are brought back into being part of God's plan to restore all things in the world. See, in the, in the beginning, we were made as humanity and commissioned as humanity by God to be part of representing him and ruling in the world, to be his image to the world around us. And we lost that through sin. We lost our purpose and meaning. And yet, one of the aspects of the gospel is that it brings us back to this purpose, Right? It's, it's as though the father says, son, not only are, you, are, your, are your debts paid for, not only are you going home where we're going to celebrate with you, but I've already put your name on the family business, right? I've already made business cards. You're coming back in. And you think, listen, that, I don't deserve that. 
And yet the Lord welcomes us, welcomes us back into the glorious work that he's doing in the world around us. And what is that family business we're brought back into? It is nothing less than the restoration of all things and the redemption of sinners. See, make no mistake, God is the one doing the restoring, right? God is the one doing the redeeming, but he offers us, he gives us a part to play in his plan. And what is that part? Our part is to proclaim this good news to others and then to demonstrate it with our lives. There's this story I love in Luke 8 where Jesus heals this man who's totally oppressed by demons. And the man in in a moment is freed and sitting in his right mind. And when Jesus turns to go back across the lake, the man begs Jesus that he might be with him. And Jesus says, no, go back to your own town and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. See, that's the family business. In that moment, that man was made a partner in the family business. Jesus commissions him and says, this good news of who I am and how I have changed you, you need to spread that to everyone that you know. This, friends, this is the family business we've been brought into. So the gospel makes us partners with God, but the gospel also makes us partners with one another. All right, so we're not commissioned alone. When when the gospel changes our relationship with God, it also changes our relationship with all those whom God has redeemed and saved. In Ephesians 2, Paul is exhorting the church to be unified, and he said, listen, you were all once without hope and without God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So listen, all of you guys, he said, the picture I get is this. All of you guys were hopeless and helpless in different ways, right? Maybe some ran into sex and pornography, some ran into greed, some ran into self-righteousness, like scattered all over the place. And yet by redemption, God brings this person near and this person near and this person near and this person near so that they're all near to him together. He goes on to say in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, to God and one another, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. See, in our world today, relationships tend to be built on whatever we have in common, right? We happen to be born in the same family. We happen to work at the same place. We happen to have the same interests in working out or playing golf or watching movies. But the relationship that binds Christians together is much deeper. See, we all are united in a few different things, right? Well, every part of our story may be a little different, but the core elements of each of our stories is the same. We all confess, listen, we were dead men walking. We were without hope and without God in the world. And every Christian puts their hands up and says, amen. Hope in God, oh my soul. So glad that you tuned in today to Better News Radio for Pastor Ricky's study through the happiest book in the Bible. We hope you've been encouraged by what you heard today and that Jesus' joy is filling you up. 
If you ever find that you have any questions or would like to share a prayer request with us, please give us a call at 915-562-7100. We love that we can pray for our listeners, so don't hesitate. That phone number again is 915-562-7100. Or you can email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. We'd also like to invite you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can listen to today's message again or search through our archive of previous teachings by Pastor Ricky. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to receive the latest messages as soon as they're available. Pastor Ricky has created an introduction video for our website visitors, telling you about the gospel message and why it's vital for the world today. Watch it online and find out more about the ministry of Better News Radio at betternewsradio.com. While we'd love to spend more time with you today, sadly, that brings us to our conclusion. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in the book of Philippians and let the Holy Spirit guide your own time of study. He might just reveal something you never would have caught before. Thanks for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again to hear more from Pastor Ricky right here on Better News Radio.